Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Society for Armenian Studies podcast. I'm Erin Pignon, and with us today is Dr. Helen Evans, the Mary and Michael Jaharis Curator of Byzantine Art. Her exhibitions include The Glory of Byzantium, Byzantium Faith and Power, and Byzantium and Islam. But today, we meet with her to discuss her latest exhibit, Armenia. Dr. Evans, welcome. Thank you very much. It's a great pleasure to be here and have the opportunity to talk with you. Fantastic. Um, And uh, just for our listeners, you might hear some ambient sound. We are in uh, the Metropolitan Museum of Arts Cafe currently, so um, excuse some clinking glasses. Um, But I hope that all of our listeners have had the opportunity, of course, to visit the exhibition, um, which certainly took years, if not decades, to conceptualize and execute. Can you share with our listeners who have seen the exhibition, who have seen it, who haven't, um, a little bit about the inception and uh, the inception of the exhibition, the scope, focusing on Armenian trade, religion, culture, and perhaps walk us through thematically? Uh, I'll try to do all that. <laughs> um, the exhibition germ would, of course, be the fact that I wrote my dissertation on Armenian manuscript illumination in the Kingdom of Cilicia, and Cilicia was always recognized as an important trade route area. So that was something um, that drew my um, interest from the very beginning. Uh, My dissertation indicated uh, connections with artistic traditions well beyond the Armenians that um, furthered my interest in exactly how far does Armenian influence and connections extend around the globe. When we did the Glory of Byzantium, we had a section on Armenia. So there we... (laughs) Interesting noise in the background. Uh, There what we were trying to look at was the importance of Armenia as a a state to the eastern edge of the Byzantine Empire, connected to it. Many Byzantine emperors are Armenian, but also independent of it. So in a way, this exhibition is a culmination of years of interest of of mine, and to a degree, the Met, on um, Armenian art and what we are attempting to do and um, are pleased with the results so far is to show how Armenians create a national identity for themselves at the beginning of the fourth century, which of course is centuries after they've been fully in existence. But the very beginning of the fourth century, Armenian people um, in and around uh, Mount Ararat choose to become a Christian people. And that makes um, an identity for them that is still alive today and extends to a sense of identifying themselves as descendants of Noah and his children. And in the exhibition, we open with early examples from the first um, generation of conversion, but also juxtapose it to a 13th century map drawn in England where the Noah's Ark is located on Mount Ararat because Armenian monks visiting St. Albans Abbey in England have told the famous um, monk in England, Matthew Paris, that that's where it is. So you have in that first part both the identification and the spread of that identification and the spread of the Armenians. Um, We focus on works that we could borrow from the city of Vin. So we have one of the earliest cities in its heyday, uh, the second largest city um, after Constantinople on the way east, and now essentially a flat field because Tamerlane um, destroyed it. And we 
wanted people to understand a, some sense of the scope of architecture. So we take you then into a gallery of architectural elements, hotch cars and facade sculpture doors. And it's where we introduce um, the importance of the Armenians on the Mongol trade routes, because two of the objects relate to that. And then you go to the kingdom of Cilicia, which is where Armenians moved to the west while they're still in um, the homeland itself and um, flourish extensively in the um, 12th, 13th century into the 14th century before that is destroyed by forces from Egypt. And when that destruction occurs, we carry Armenians out of Cilicia into Italy and the Crimea and back to Armenia proper and have liturgical objects and manuscripts and um, um, a large image of one of the churches in Armenia for people to be able to have some sense of the architecture. It's the great problem of museum exhibitions. You can't give architecture. You can't put a building in a museum. <laughs> yeah. uh, not one that you ought to. And then you move into a, a small gallery that's essentially a scriptorium. Mm -hmm. And we have, interestingly, both how to do manuscripts because of images we could borrow and the Alexander Romance, which is really our only truly uh, more or less secular objects yes. in the show. <laughs> um, and then the last two galleries show Armenians relevant um, to the Ottoman Empire, and then after Shah Abbas uh, forces the move of the Armenians of Julfa, the Armenians in the um, empire, of Safavid Empire and in Isfahan, and their trade routes, which literally reach around the globe. And that concludes the show because it's the Kojas, the wealthy merchants of Shah Abbas's world, which fund, who fund, um, the Ashkan Bible in 1666. And we've used the traditional ancient definition of medieval from conversion to printed book mm -hmm. as the time frame of the show. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. Um, and you walked through, mm -hmm. you walked through um, these galleries, but just for the listeners to understand the number of objects in the show, they're around 140, 150? 150. 150. 150 objects in the show, including, of course, illuminated manuscripts, printed books, and sculpture, but also other objects that move, liturgical furnishings, vestments, textiles, maps, reliquaries, ceramics, um, and many more. Um, so just from my point of view as a student of Armenian art, walking through every gallery or paging through the catalog is like opening up a, opening up a mound of presents. You know, you see um, more and more what you you know, objects to study, objects you've never seen before, objects next to each other that haven't been next to each other in uh, you know, that might both live in Yerevan, but one lives in the vault, one lives in the gallery, and now they're together again. Um, so it is, it is very powerful to see uh, how you've arranged these objects as well. Um, what do you consider the highlights of the show? Do you have a favorite object? And, um, and what didn't make it that you, that you initially wanted to include in the show? Um, um. We pick each and every object for the show to make a point that builds to a conclusion. So to a degree, I love every object in the show. Um, because I study uh, Cilicia, I was particularly excited about loans that we could get from there and sorry about some that couldn't come from various sites for various reasons. I think in the end, we have enough of the images to make 
the introductory point that would then lead people that wish to study it further into exploration. So I don't feel that we have ignored anything totally, which is what I wanted to avoid. And I wanted people to understand that the homeland, the, the, the site of Mount Ararat is where things begin, but that Armenians throughout time have made relevant and important art as they disperse across the globe, both because they're driven there and because they're going there on their own to be part of these trade routes that you would appear as Armenians to have controlled the trade routes that the Byzantines found you so good at that they made you emperors, that you control for the Mongols, you control for the Ottomans, you control for the Persians. you're still active on today. Um, it's a fascinating um, area that is still got a whole lot left to explore. So it's, I, I hope what we do is say what we know now and open up the next gener- open up to another generation of scholarship that will build on what we showed mm-hmm. in New York. Mm-hmm. Um, that's great. So let's talk. I mean, as a student and teacher of Armenian art. Um, for decades, um, how do you see the exhibit itself in this short run as an opportunity for teaching? For example, I'm having my graduate seminar here in a few hours, in two hours, Um, but maybe using the catalog as an extension. um, I've been using the Treasures in Heaven, I've been assigned the Treasures in Heaven essays um, for years now, and, and I've assigned them myself to students in Armenia. Um, so how do you see the catalog as an extension of the exhibit itself, and how can we look at this as a true teaching experience for introducing Armenian art um, and culture to a casual student? I, I think any exhibition, if it's going to be successful, um, needs to be something that the casual student, the casual visitor walks through and says, that's interesting, whatever it was because those people exist. And then maybe they'll turn around and say, I want to know more about Armenia. And that for students like you, um, for scholars like you, that there's something in the juxtaposition or in information that you just hadn't looked in that area that you learn more from. So my goal is both to be enticing to people who know nothing about it, because many people do not know Armenia had art, and to be um, interesting to people who know as a great deal about it. Um, I think what this show does that has not been done before is two things uh, that are interesting to me. Treasures in Heaven was a, a wonderful exhibition at the Morgan Library that was based on Armenian manuscripts and American collections, and it was incredibly exciting. I took part in it, but it didn't allow because it was manuscripts to give you any sense of Armenian space and volume. So we worked very hard, and the History Museum of Armenia was extremely generous. We have 20-some-odd large sculptural elements, mm-hmm. and that gives you some sense of uh, face. And, and talking to people who've seen the show, it's been very effective in making them think that Armenia is something real and not like the little 3 by 5 manuscript we've got elsewhere. Um, The other thing that we have done more than most other shows is three-fourths of the objects in this show come from the major repositories of Armenian culture. So that means that that we could borrow from. So that means we have objects borrowed from 
three institutions in the Republic of Armenia, but also the Brotherhood of St. James, the Great House of Cilicia, and the Mekhadiris Fathers in Venice. And we are able to give you a more comprehensive view because we were able to borrow um, more widely and be supported. Um, and all those institutions uh, were generous in, in their loans. And, and so you mentioned um, these international institutions, but we also have borrowed objects from um, UCLA or from, yes. yeah, from the Getty UCLA, but also have drawn on the Met's uh, permanent collection. Can you talk about your collect, I mean, the acquisition of some of these objects? Um, some of the listeners might have seen the 2011 Hachkar that, that you brought here. Um, and how have you built up uh, the Met's Armenian collection? The Hachkar is the, the core of the Met's collection, and it, of course, belongs to the Republic of Armenia and is on a so far continuing long-term loan. We certainly hope that the Republic will continue to lend it to us um, because it's a quite wonderful work and it's large enough for people to see it easily. Uh, we have associated with it um, the manuscripts that we have, manuscript fragments that we have, um, other small pieces that came into the museum that were Armenian, um, that were never collected coherently, and were part of the large number of East Christian objects that were really never shown at the Met until we were able to have the um, new galleries that focus on the East Christian world, the Mary and Michael Shaharis galleries for Byzantine art, where we have a corner um, as you head into Western Europe, which is dedicated to Armenia. I think it is very important, um, so it's been my goal as a curator, to make people understand that in the Middle Ages, the Byzantine Empire, the states um, around it were incredibly significant and that their relevance, like Armenia's relevance as a trade route is hard to imagine now because you just get on an airplane and fly something somewhere. But for millennia, the, the paths through the mountains that Armenia occupies were the way the East came to the West. So Matthew Paris has this wonderful sentence in his early 1200 statement that the Armenians control all the lands to India, which is not politically accurate, but it must mean that all the trade goods from India north come through, funnel through Armenian control uh, to reach Byzantium and then on further west. And that's in a period when all the Crusaders have Armenian royal wives and the Armenians of Cilicia are closely allied with Crusader states, Louis IX of France and uh, Byzantium itself. And then what we don't effectively show, because I'm not sure we have anything to show it, um, is that Cilicia is also closely allied with the Mongols. They're a vassal state of the Mongols. Can you talk a bit more about the public reception of the exhibit? Um, I've spent a lot of time in the galleries since the show's opened, and I always see groups of people talking, and I hear a lot of Armenian in the exhibits every day. I see a lot of Armenians in line, um, and uh, so I've, I have a sense that the community is here. The Armenian community is here. Someone, we had a symposium last week, and someone told me that they had just been talking to an Armenian from Melbourne, Australia, who had come to see the show. Um, so I think many 
Armenian, the numbers say that many Armenians are coming, but also non-Armenians are coming. I got an email yesterday from someone who essentially did not know that Armenians had art saying how important the show was to them and how exciting it was wow. to have seen it. So I want very much for people who do not know about Armenian art to become interested in it, and I'm very pleased at the number of curators in the Metropolitan Museum who've come up to tell me how exciting the exhibition is because it's showing a material they never knew about. Um, if the show is really successful, then Armenian art will become more integrated into the art of the world mm -hmm. and not be seen as an isolated entity that is irrelevant because it doesn't take part in the larger discussions of the development of art. And I think Armenian art and the Armenian movement of ideas uh, along these trade routes are just incredibly important. We have on the website, so you go to the Met, to our exhibitions to Armenia, we have this interactive map. And by the end of the exhibition, our, the ends of it are Jamestown, Virginia, in 1618, where an Armenian is there, and Manila, where an Armenian arrives in 1614. And these are definitely the, the Persian-controlled trade routes, but it's the Persian-Armenians who control them. The Armenians control all external ideas entering the Persian Empire because they ex control all external trade. Um, so we're trying to get people interested in looking at Armenia and the early modern world, Armenian in the middle medieval world, Armenia in the very er origins of Christianity and considering it in new ways. And it's, and it's interesting to talk about this because you've slowly been incorporating Armenian objects into your exhibitions in the past. Um, and how does your exhibit, and particularly the venue that it's at, um, position Armenia's entry into other exhibits and other collections or the acquisition of Armenian objects in, into the permanent collection, not just here, but globally? I think that one of the really exciting things that, about the exhibition is you enter it through galleries of exceptionally fine Greek face paintings and the first gallery of Armenian art is every bit yeah. as powerful as what you've just walked through. And you leave through the 1600s in essentially um, Persia, but the East, and you walk out into galleries of the same time frame. And again, what you leave is just as strong as what you see when you leave and are in the permanent collection. So Armenian art stands up as being as good as uh, what is in the Met's regular collections. And that is a statement on the quality of Armenian art and a, and a very important one. And it's, I know it's being uh, seen by people that come to see the show, uh, both Armenians and non-Armenians. So I think that's important. I think the catalog, um, which in a way is the, the way one conceives of the show and then puts it out and then it becomes, its history becomes a catalog, is a way for people to have, because they're interested in it, or students to use as um, course uh, work readings, um, the breadth of what Armenia can make. Not everything. If it, we, we know that Devin is very famous for its purple rugs, but none of them survive for me to display, so I can only put that into the text. Um, 
we are now into the second printing of the catalog, so it's doing well. Yeah. <laughs> We're pleased with that. Yeah, that was a fantastic announcement on the symposium. Kind of a surprise, but a <laughs> delightful surprise. Um, I think the show will be long-term a success if within a decade you see Armenian objects referred to more frequently in classes that are dealing with larger world images, um, courses more often taught on Armenian art, um, a recognition that Armenia is, is a part of the fabric of the development of the long medieval world that we show in the exhibition. So what's next for you after this <laughs> exhibition closes? Surviving, uh, closing this exhibition is next for me. Um, I'm not quite sure. I just, I'm, I think that we've made headway with the exhibitions that we've had so far in making people realize that the mid, in the medieval centuries, the world east of the Mediterranean was powerful and important and relevant even if, when it was not Muslim and that when we first started doing these exhibitions, the non-Muslim populations were considered irrelevant um, or near to irrelevant. So I would continue pushing that. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you, Dr. Evans, so much for your time talking today 